Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate spoiler special on Miami Vice. This is the feature wherein, if you have never heard one before, we delve into those parts of the movie that reviewers are not supposed to give away, and we feel free to splash the secrets of the movie everywhere, so do not listen to this if you still plan to see Miami Vice and don't want any giveaways. So I'm here with Brian Curtis, a Slate senior editor with whom I saw Miami Vice the other night, and Brian, staggering out of the movie onto the street, I think the very least you could say is that we were both deafened by the movie, right. nothing else. And, um, and before we spoil anything, should we just explain the movie to each other? Because I think it was sort of a little bit a little bit hard yeah, to follow. Yeah, this is what I was going to ask you, is that I think both of us agreed kind of staggering out onto the street that we had seen something quite impressive. But I think, for me at least, there was a somewhat vague sense of what exactly takes place in the movie. Right. So Crockett and Tubbs, uh, Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, in that order, go undercover because one of their sources in the drug trade world, one of the guys who's been an informant in the drug trade world, has been murdered, and they want to find out who gave him up, right? Right. So, Well, to be specific, he's committed suicide, right? He's By committed suicide. In front of a truck. His family's been murdered. Exactly. And so they want to find out who gave him up. So they go deep undercover and infiltrate the drug world, and they, they go around with these various South American characters trying right. to attempt to find out who in the federal government, presumably, or in the local police department, Gave up their source. Right. And in the process, they discover these two, as far as I could tell, completely divergent strains of crime that they investigate. One is the kind of skinhead white supremacist living in a trailer park, right? With right. whom there's a big showdown at the end. And the other is this vast South American and and Cuban network of, of drug lords. Right. Small time local crime versus large international right. drug cartel. Right. And what they find out is, is that so in the course of this, they start actually running drugs for the South American guys. And they find out in the course of this, what happens in the course of this is that Jamie Foxx, Tubbs's girlfriend slash wife, it's not quite clear in the movie, gets kidnapped by the white supremacists who might in fact be working for one of the lesser drug lords. Though that wasn't quite clear in the movie. Yeah, I guess my big plot hole question to you and to whoever's listening as well is why did the white supremacist Nazi trailer trash gang kidnap the wife exactly? We never see them ask for ransom. They don't seem to be holding out any specific demand. They seem to be doing that of sheer nastiness just to torture Jamie Foxx's wife. Right. And the one thing I could figure out is they do seem to have some relationship to the drug cartel. Like they, the drug cartel sells them drugs and they, they're kind of small-time local dealers. Right. So they could be sort of henchmen doing doing a favor for one of the drug lords who's trying to test Jamie Foxx's character who he thinks might be a narc or doesn't think is a legitimate right. drug runner. Right. Right? Did I get but that right? But whether Jamie Foxx is a narc or not, he's liable to respond with extreme prejudice to his wife's being kidnapped <laughs> by Nazis, right? So it's not clear to me whether they're trying to get him to blow his cover or But then just... what happens is when he does ex- respond with extreme prejudice, he and the rest of the Miami police force shows up in this trailer park where the Nazis live. And it turns into an all-out international drug gang shoot him up. Right. And, and, and supposedly we see the drug dealer has like some kind of camera, I think, showing scenes from that trailer right. park. So he can see then that Jamie Foxx has the help right. of the local Miami police department. Isn't is in fact not a actual drug runner. Right. As he's so, portraying himself to be. Is that so right? I guess, uh, yeah, I guess we could say then that the, the function of the trailer trash Nazi gang is simply to have a sort of local staging ground for this, this trans-global drug war to play itself out. I right. mean, I'm talking about the narrative purpose of the Nazis. What are they doing in there? And what we can spoil in this is that Jamie Foxx's girlfriend slash wife is tortured, then sort of partially blown up in an explosion, but then makes a miraculous recovery at the end of the movie. Right. Slips out of a coma, 
to supposedly live happily ever after with her husband slash Right. I guess it's clear right? that she's, she's going to make it at the end. I mean, she sort of holds his hand and moves her fingers slightly. And to me, it seemed like a possible setup for a sequel, you know, that we, we need to come back to see whether she made it. Because she herself is not just sort of um, plot bait, you know, not just a damsel in distress, but it is some kind of intelligence analyst who also works for the FBI. Right. Right. Also not quite clear. There's a total minimum of exposition in this movie. We were talking when we came out about how buddy cop movies usually have all these sort of infor- very informative, very sort of scenes at the beginning when the two of them are on stakeout and they're exchanging all these funny lines. The warm moments. You're this you're the this guy, I'm the this guy, you're the crazy one, I'm the by the book one. This movie, what Michael Mann is clearly trying to do is run away as far away from all those sort of cliches of the buddy cop movie as possible. Right. I mean I guess you could say that the you know the upside of his doing that is that he escapes the the warm buddy cop movie cliches. The downside of it, though, perhaps, is that his characterizations are pretty thin, and you rely pretty heavily on your back knowledge of Crockett and Tubbs from the TV show to right. follow what's happening at all, much well, less to know the characters. That's exactly right. And speaking of Crockett, meanwhile in the Florida Keys, Crockett, who's also deep undercover, falls in love with the drug dealer's girlfriend. Right. The main his South mall, American almost, drug lord's right? mall. Right. They fall in love, and the girlfriend tells the drug lord, in fact, I've been sleeping with Crockett just to see if he's for real. The drug lord doesn't seem to have a problem with it. And this sort of turned into another plot hole where then (laughs) one of the drug lord's flunkies sees Crockett and the girl dancing later in the movie. And apparently that's way too much for the drug lord. It's okay if they slept together, but if they're doing some sort of sultry Spanish dance in Havana, (laughs) perhaps dirty dancing Havana nights sort of based, that that doesn't quite work, right? And then he gets mad and sort of excommunicates them all from his flock. Right. Well, right? to me, that moment, I mean, you find it a plot hole or, or confusing why, you know, seeing the, the video of the two dancing together would do something to Montoya, the drug lord, that, you know, his, his wife actually telling him, I slept with this guy, doesn't do. To me, that made perfect sense in this movie's language, because it seems like the movie is, it's all about physicality, it's all about surface, and about the difference between deep undercover and, you know, sort of going over to the other side. What's the difference between pretending you've gone over to the other side and actually going over? And I think it's that smile Mm. and the fact that they're kind of, they dance well together and they have this whole sensuous connection that really puts them over the edge. And that's kind of what makes the movie work for us, the viewers, too. The movie is so ludicrous in so many ways, but... I, I kind of loved it, and I think a lot of it is just because it looks and sounds so good. Ludicrous, as you say, but committed to its own ludicrousness. I yeah, deeply committed. I mean, I feel like it's the movie is very surprisingly uncampy. You know, anything called Miami Vice that's based on an 80s television show in the current cinematic climate, you would expect that to be high camp. And there's really not a trace of the campy in this movie at all. If anything, it's overly self-serious. The other thing we can spoil is that after a big shootout involving the drug dealers and our heroes – and lots of other Miami-based law enforcement personnel toting machine guns at the end of the movie. The drug dealers all get killed brutally and with great amounts of blood. Right. But Crockett sort of spirits his girlfriend, who's also tied up in the drug trade away. Played by Gong Li, by the way. Played by Gong Li. And sends her on a go-fast boat, or a go-less-fast boat, and off she goes. And they have this sort of parting in the middle of the movie. Once again, to me, it seemed like it might possibly have been a, a sequel setup. Maybe I'm just cynical, and I don't. I wouldn't accuse Michael Mann of trying to spin this too obviously into a franchise. But since he does, since he doesn't seem to like to do that. Yeah, I mean, he had many opportunities over the years to start a Miami Vice franchise and didn't seem called to do so. But I do think that, you know, the the end of this movie I actually found quite moving, even though, again, the romance is very thinly scripted. They look so great together, and, you know, there's such great music cranked up on the soundtrack as they gaze into each other's camera-ready eyes that I, I was sort of 
sad at the end to see them split up and wondered if they might not have another adventure in their future. I like the idea of a Michael Mann franchise, Last of the Mohicans 2. That would be sort of nice. <laughs> this time it's personal, you know. Second to Last of the Mohicans. Right, right. The Insider 2. That could have been, that could have been a fun one. Um, this was sort Still of smoking after all these years? <laughs> Still smoking. That's great. That's very good. Anything else? Anything else we should spoil? Don Johnson's suit. I mean, Don Johnson, excuse me. Um, oh, whoops. Colin Farrell's suits. His mustache. Colin Farrell looks great, but in a completely different way than the, than the TV cops looked great. There's not a pastel color anywhere in sight. Everything's very gray and, and dark and somber. The light gray suit is still in. If Michael, every Michael Mann movie is about fashion, right, to some extent, men's is fashion. Is there always a light gray suit? Well, what I'm saying is in the, his last year, Collateral, right, it was that Tom Cruise sort of oh, light gray yeah. and gray hair. Absolutely. That was sort of the big fashion mm-hmm. statement. This time I think Crockett primarily wore that sort of gray suit and sort of a blue blue shirt or sort of a cottony white right. shirt for most of the movie. And his long, sort of lanky hair that's always falling sort of streaked blonde, little blonde streaks, eye. and yeah. It's a movie that's all about look, and it just it seems like it would be so easy for that to be a big strike against the movie, but I felt really sort of seduced and swept up into its very silly world. Me too. Is there, is there a go fast boat we can get in here in the Hudson and sail off <laughs> into the sunset? I, I hope go fast boats are sort of. Yes, the theme another of thing we should spoil. Yes, a fast boat in this movie, in the, this movie's universe is called a go fast boat. <laughs> And if you want to, and if you're if you're in the Florida Keys and you want a good mojito, the closest place to get it is Havana. (laughs) (laughs) No, nowhere in Miami makes quite the same mojito as they do in Havana. That's a great scene. Yeah, I would say that to me that was the high point of the movie. Just the the great fantasy wish fulfillment of just hopping into a go fast boat and heading to Cuba for a drink. Yes, yes. and a night on the town. I'm thinking about doing that tonight, actually. Well, I guess it's worth noting as well, as long as we're talking about plot holes and incomprehensible <laughs> narrative, that in the press screening we happen to go to, and this is a... A confession. A really bad flaw in a press critics screening, that there were probably 20 minutes at the climax of the movie where the audio went almost completely out. And it was very strange. It was only the audio channel that had the human dialogue. But thankfully, the sort of soaring music and the gunshots were at full volume. But what the, when, the, when the characters tried to speak, it stand, sounded like someone was standing in the front of the theater speaking in a stage whisper. And everybody in the audience sort of craning to hear what they said. Right. And for, for those of you who've seen the movie, this was the, the boat chase action sequence. Essentially, the first climax of the movie, the second climax being the, the trailer park shootout. So it's very possible that Brian and I missed some shouted line of dialogue over the rushing sound of waves and gunplay that would have revealed all of these plot holes to us. And if so, you know, please feel free to write in and tell us about it. And we'll definitely not respond to those emails. So thank you very much in advance. <laughs> And if you do want to write in and, and harangue us, the address would be podcasts at slate.com. All right, Dana, so I've got the boat pulled up out front. Mojitos on me. All Havana right. tonight. I'm on, as long as it's a go fast. Uh, it's a go fast boat. I only travel in a go fast if boat. Not, if not, Havana will go to Southampton. <laughs> All right, so thank you for joining us for this spoiler special. And uh, thanks a lot, Brian. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Dana. For slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.